I didn't think of an intro today. This has got to be one of the gutsiest clubs in the National Hockey League. It's a breakaway. McKinnon. Pure guts. <laughs> they got nothing but guts. Brandon right here with a terrific backhand pass. And look at the patient. My goodness. Guts all over the place. I can't believe it. And after 22 years. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. I'm Steph, and you're locked into Burgundy Radio for October 22nd, 2018. Coming up on the show, it's been a magical week for the captain. Mac and Miko hit a legendary benchmark. The Avs made a waiver claim. And I'll ask these fine folks exactly how excited we should be. But before we play the whoosh and do that, let's introduce exactly who they are. Joining us, as always, are Earl. Hello, Earl. Hello, friends. And Jackie. Hello, Jackie. Hi, I actually wave when I do this. And Rudo. Hello to Rudo. Two weeks in a row, I'm on a hot streak. The Avalanche hit the road and are bringing back at least five of eight points, one game still to play. Here's how. First on Tuesday, Avs fall 3-2 in a shootout to the New York Rangers, with Colorado's goal coming from Nathan McKinnon and Gabe Landeskog. The Avs were outshot 43-33 in this one, although a lot of that stemmed from an endless parade to the penalty box. They were called for holding, tripping, high-sticking, which was a twofer, holding two more times, and that doesn't include Matt Calvert getting in a fight for some reason. Can, can any of you explain why the coaching staff was much happier with this game than I was? Because I hated it. Not it might really. have been just because Bednar was really mad about the Calgary game. I think, I think he was just trying to kind of like chill out a little bit about it. Yeah, I mean, I think- it, if anything, it showed aggression, obviously a little too much. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a good bounce back from Calgary where they're beyond flat. But uh, I, mean, I, I, I can see what better. he was talking about as far as liking certain points of the game, but you know, there were there were things not to like about this game for sure. I think they got better as the game went on. Maybe that was also positive. That's true. Usually they start hot and then disappear. You'd like the improvement there to be starting hot and staying hot, not, you know, just kind of being blah a lot. I'm actually just trying to remember this game. I mean, I remember it, but I'm trying to remember the goals. And Landis Scog and McKinnon score every game, so it's... <laughs> right. No, I don't remember this game very well either. That was the, the you, have to, you have to double tip the puck to beat Henrik Lundqvist. Oh, so okay. The Avs got two super greasy goals, which Bednar loves. Okay, I remember the, the McKinnon goal, because that was Miko. That was when Miko started, well, he's been beast mode all year, but that was when he started, he, he got the puck up at the blue line and shot it. So, yeah, that was, that was uh, the Miko beast mode game, I think. And then he scored in the shootout. He did. He was basically the only one. That was that shootout was so bad. Oh yeah. Shootouts are just bad. They are, but like McKinnon used to have one move that as long as he hit the net it went in, and he started trying to add new moves to his repertoire, and that is that has not gone well for him. Well he tried to do the World Cup against Lundquist again. And Lundquist just kinda said, nah. <laughs> Seen it. Come on. <laughs> Come on, boy. And then Landeskog kind of made an attempt. Yeah, his wasn't good. Yeah, I'd, I'd never love Landeskog in the shootout. He's better off with the slap shot from the top of the circles, I think. You may as well. He came in really <laughs> wide, and then he made an attempt from the side he came in wide on. Like, then why'd you come in wide for? 
You put the goalie in position. Speaking of the shootout, I was sometimes I randomly look up the Avs shootout percentages in the game notes. Here's the fun fact. Gabriel Bork has scored in the shootout before. <laughs> okay. Today I and Andrew <laughs> And Andrew Ghetto is two for four in his career on the shootout. So have those guys on deck next time. That's, that's pretty good, but they're no Wojtek Volsky. <laughs> well, anyway, um, on Thursday, Avs win 5-3 over the New Jersey Devils in one of the worst officiated games we'll see this year, or at least I hope so. Uh, Gabe Landeskog led the way with a hat trick. Sven Andergetto returned to the lineup and got a goal of his own. And Miko Rantanen iced it with an empty netter while hilariously stiff-arming none other than old friend Will Butcher. But this game had 12 minor penalties. I'll repeat that. 12 minor penalties. Hockey lasts 60 minutes. That's 24 penalty minutes. In minors. That game should have been very good, especially from an Avs perspective, because they played awesome. And instead we got that. If yeah, you can see, like, once they stopped calling penalties about, I don't know, eight minutes into the third, um, that final 12 minutes were exciting and the Avs dominated. Now, obviously score and game effects come into play there but um you know that that was probably what we should have been watching most of the night i think that was their best game of the year and i know that the the beat down in the wild on the <coughs> first game of the season that that was lovely but this was a game where they had to score in the third period to tie it then they scored again to win the game uh, I mean, it was a weird one. Like, in less than a minute span, at one point, they called three penalties, and, like, <sighs> maybe one of them was an actual penalty. Yeah. So, like, the the refs just had no control of the game in the first place, and they didn't go about, like, recovering it properly. But It's, it's pretty bad in the NHL when you see, like, the four on three. Then you know that there's been way too many penalties. Well, it's not just that. Like two of the Devils' goals were around totally bad calls. Like uh, I think it was Hall's goal was on a man advantage before the penalty actually, you know, went into effect. Um, that was a a phantom call on Gabe Bork. Yeah, the and guy, the guy skated near Bork and fell down, and that was tripping. Yeah, and then Colin Wilson's phantom call was the impetus for the other goal, the third goal, and it's just like you know that that should have been a five-one win or you know. Probably would end up like four one for for Grubauer. You know, I mean, it didn't change the outcome, but he's, I still you know. think it would have been close. It was, and it, it was like it was worth noting that Zadorov was friggin' blowing people up, <laughs> <laughs> and he didn't get called for like a penalty on any of these massive hits. <laughs> yeah, and they were That's calling like the softest of holds in this game. So yeah, no, I mean like. <laughs> <laughs> he 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 was just tooling on Drew Stafford for the entire first period. It was awesome. It does seem like he picks one guy and <laughs> just <laughs> is unrelentless. I discount the opener against Minnesota because it was just so dominant. Um, but I felt like this was Nikita Zadorov's first good game of the season. Yeah. So I'm glad that his name already came. Yeah. Up. Yeah. I. Yeah, you know, I think he's been solid in games, but this was, like, I've, it felt like last year for him for the first time. 
yeah, this is the most engaged I've really seen him all year. And, you know, he, he sort of showed off his complete game for the first time, I thought. Mm-hmm. How many minutes did he play in that game? Just curious. Oh, geez. I don't know. I know. I know I should have looked, but I didn't. 15 only? Yeah, he That's was actually a lot. by like two minutes. Well, he doesn't play power play. He doesn't play four on four. Unless he has to. He he is on the PK, but... He wasn't in this game. Yeah. He also took a five-minute fighting major, eh? Yeah, that's true. So that's a... That's, that's a right, he's fighting he with Zaka. But that was a, a decision that Zaka made. I also saw on Twitter that was the first fight Z on Z fight in the NHL. What? In NHL. <laughs> yeah, so I did not look that up. Someone I saw someone tweet that it was the first Z versus Z fight in the NHL. Yeah, How many various lot passes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a mess. <laughs> but yeah, that that game, like th- those are two teams that, sh- that should play a really exciting game against each other. And it, I hate to spend all this time just like bitching about the refs, but they really killed that game. It should have been a fun game to watch, and it was just awful. Yeah, I, I, mean, saw, I still the... thought it was a good game, even though I I agree with the penalties. But I, I still think it was two good young teams against each other, and then the Avs, they really had to play to take that game. So I liked how they performed in it i still enjoyed it but no nobody needs to see that many penalties and special teams and you had don cherry's favorite thing which is linesman pump faking the puck drop give me a break (laughs) i hate that too i hate that too it's just it's terrible it's terrible to watch especially live live you're just like oh my god every time and i think he threw someone out every face off as well (laughs) That's when you have to start putting it, having the person take it the first time that you don't want to take the face off. Right. Yeah. That's my favorite thing about (laughs) the QMJHL. Those refs don't care, man. You're 20 (laughs) feet away from the face off circle. If you're not ready, they're dropping the puck, man. (laughs) Good. That's how it should be. Yeah. I think if you pump fake, you should be tossed out of the league. (laughs) you're relegated to the ahl go pump fake them then on saturday colorado win an afternoon snoozer 3-1 over the carolina hurricanes thanks to two more goals from landeskog and one from mckinnon plus a sterling 42 save outing for philip grubauer if you've seen any avs hurricanes games in the last few years you know what this one looked like Carolina shoots a lot from everywhere, and it never looks that dangerous. Colorado can't generate anything at all, but eventually talented players make talented plays that decide it. Seven more minor penalties just to the avalanche in this one. Fellas, please stay out of the box, eh? What's going on here? Any theories? I mean, you take a look at New Jersey, or not New Jersey's, uh, Carolina's power play, and you go, well, I guess this is one you can afford to take a couple in. But that power play was brutal. <laughs> yeah, the, the, that the first period power plays for Carolina were just like wow. This makes the, the Avs power play look exciting. Yeah, Carolina's power play <laughs> is shocking, but we only played them twice, and we played Dallas like four or five times. I mean, I legitimately double checked. Like, did they hire Tim Army? <laughs> <laughs> 
We'll see what the Tim Army special looks like next week, but... For who? Um, Who's Tim Army work for? The Iowa, the Iowa Wild. Wild. Oh. Yeah. Well, today I learned but... that. <laughs> I learned Just all kinds of fun stuff facts today. here. Yeah. yeah. Um, as far as who's, I think it's kind of interesting who's taking all these penalties, and it's a lot of the skill guys. Like Miko got the golden sombrero, which is the three penalties in this game. <laughs> golden sombrero. <laughs> usually, <laughs> so usually not a baseball fan. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Usually, usually three penalties game we benched but you know it's miko and right he did deserve most of them (laughs) (laughs) the first one you could maybe call good penalty like he he saved a goal or a really good scoring chance but then i i just i don't even know what was going on with the rest but like mckinnon's had three that were probably soft but they're also dumb Uh, kerfoot's been the same way where some of the calls are soft but they are also dumb Nieto's taken two penalties from behind the opponent's net. That's never a good thing. Stop it! Stop doing that! And then, the thing is, what I'm seeing with a lot of these penalties, it's 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 a lot of stuff that happens in general course of play that that doesn't get called, and they're sort of getting the 25% calls on the... Yeah, like so, the interference stuff, like, you know, I can understand hooking and slashing and that that stuff if you get a call you probably did it it could be a soft call but generally you did do, commit the act so you can't complain too much but yeah like the interference it, it's just like you, you could find interference on any play if you wanted to yeah. and then other teams get away with it so that all the inter- dumb interference calls does seem a little bit like what's going on here it it does feel a little bit like the self-fulfilling prophecy. Like, we already, on every broadcast, are getting the, look at how many penalties the Avalanche take. <laughs> and so, like, Our if refs go the in the games with that mindset, like... Or they're like, keys to the game. Bedner says, stay out of the box. And then, like, three minutes in, they're in the box. <laughs> but they have the lead. Well, that's the... We, we were talking this week about, you know, like, is there a theme like the NHL hasn't announced something that they're absolutely going to watch out for early in the season? Like last year they did with slashing and the dumb face-off penalties. But I do think that sort of holding and interference is, is sort of the buzzword among the, the officiating community. Um, just well, because certainly... it, it, those were all the soft calls are coming from other than like, you know, standing next to someone that's falling down. Near your <laughs> stick, you know? Yeah. And it is the other team. Like, we know that it's not just the Avs getting a bunch of silly calls. Like, the other team is maybe not taking as many penalties as the Avs are, but they are taking a lot of penalties yeah. as well. Yeah, no, like, jumping back to the Jersey game just for a second, like, the reason we say that game is so bad is because even the calls against New Jersey, it's like, those weren't penalties. <laughs> Right. It's like when I write about refs being bad, it's not like, oh, damn, these idiots lost us the game kind of thing. It's like, you know, I I like to see a well-managed game. You know, I like to see refs that can control the game with, you know, three or maybe four penalties per side. And when it looks like both teams are, are, you know, really pissed off at the officiating, that's when I get upset at officials. 
Well, you want to see the game play it five on five. That's, yeah. And that lets you know how your team's doing. That That's like an even playing field. So you, so you want to see that. But I think the Avs are, do have the most minor penalties in the league. So it is becoming a thing. They do want to clean that up a little. I think it is also how they play. It, it's, it's not the same as Winnipeg, but Winnipeg doesn't mind taking penalties because they play physical. They know they're going to take them and they can kill them off. And I think the Avs are sort of getting into that realm. Like They don't play physical like Winnipeg, but they play fast and aggressive uh, with a lot of contact. And so with their penalty kill being so good, it's almost kind of like the same thing where like we're going to play this way and we'll live with a few penalties. Which I'm fine with, but it, it is a little to the extreme at this point right now. It's actually not that bad. Because I, I went back and looked where they were, and this was actually before the Carolina game. But, you know, they, they're, they're, they're tops in the league in, in times um, on the penalty kill. Last year they were top five at this point after seven games. Um, the main thing is the, is the differential. Like, their penalty differential, they were... They were a plus four as far as, you know, time shorthanded and times on the power play last year at this point. But this year they're minus seven. So that's an 11 penalty swing. And it doesn't feel like they're drawing the penalties that they would, like you said last year, like by being fast, you'd see Gerard draw a penalty like every other game just because he's so fast and someone will be trying to hold on or guys in the corner yeah we haven't seen like those penalties that the abs typically do draw right and that's that's where the discrepancy is coming in it's not like they're really taking that many more because they're not it's more they're not drawing as many and that's sort of you know that that's sort of where the problem is right now but you you see a lot of the kind of the the soft stuff the the chintzy stick work kind of calls like the hookings that are phantom or that kind of stuff, but those are the ones that I'm not ever going to defend because you, if your stick's parallel to the ice, you put yourself in a position to get called for it. Stop doing it. It's not that hard. Yeah. If you trip somebody I trying think... to strip a puck, that clean it up. That happens, but clean it, you, we have all season to clean it up. If A big hit that gets called a penalty because you're Nikita Zadorov and you're you know bigger than the other guy, what are you going to do? But Get your get your stick out of people's hands. It's 2018. Yeah, if I were the staff and I were telling the guys to to sort of knock it off on one certain thing, it would probably be the holding. Because that seems to be where probably a, some of the excess is coming from. Um, you know, it's like if you if you've got your hand on a guy's shoulder and it moves, it's you know, you're probably going to get a call this year. So mm-hmm. don't don't do that. McKinnon has gotten a couple of those that were. He didn't come in intending to hold the guy. He just came in with a lot of speed and then went, oh, if I hit this guy, I might end his life into the inboards. So Yeah, he used him as his personal airbag. Exactly. It's, <laughs> it's, it's like you can wrap him up and take a holding penalty or you can blast him into the boards and be gone for two weeks. Like, Yeah, I mean, this has come up in many conversations before that some sort of like bear hug rule or something needs to be implemented, especially... They we saw with Z that hit on Stafford. You know they have the argument. Uh, last week against Buffalo, he got a penalty for that on Middlestat because Middlestat turned his back to him. And the the way you stop that issue is you just let him bear hug the guy if they turn towards the boards. I like that. 
in in Zadorov hit instances, I I like that because there's literally nothing he could do. He was coming in to physically stop the guy, and suddenly he's in a dangerous position with McKinnon. And then it, it, that's just recklessness. <laughs> so with the bear hug, would that then not be a penalty because the players right. recognizing they're trying not to kill the right. guy? Like I could murder you right now. <laughs> But instead, I'm just going to wrap you up like a football player. <laughs> it's not even so much I could murder you, it's that you almost made me murder you. Fair. Yeah. Um, but that's a lot of talking about the officiating, and I don't want to do it anymore. So let's just sign off on that section by saying, if you're going to call offside with .8 seconds left, you better be really obviously right. And he wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> So That's why they have replay. <laughs> so let's move on um, to my next question, which is, where did the Jost line go? Every, I mean, when, as I sit here reading off these goal scorers, they're, they, they're all the top line, plus uh, plus Sven out of nowhere, excuse me. So where, we'll where let Earl have this one. <laughs> where did Jost go? Where did Kerfoot go? Where did Wilson go? Um, well, I mean, I, I think there there's several things going on here first of all after the calgary game you had matt calvert um leave the fourth line and go up to the the carl line um and now that looks to be sort of something we're going to see for every game for the rest of the season as the second line um when you know which is kind of a bummer they're going to overuse the vets the same way they did last year and then wonder why they don't have any depth scoring um but I think that's taken time and probably some situational advantages that the Kerfoot Jost Wilson line had before. And it's, you know, it's, it's kind of a bummer because that's probably their top possession line. And now they're sitting on the bench towards the end of games. And you, you know, you, you have the defensive line out there blocking shots. Um, when you, when you probably could have those guys out there, you know, with a better chance to clear the puck. And I, I get the coaches sort of being down on that line. They had, I think they went five periods without a shot attempt in the, the Jersey and Carolina game. So. But if they're holding possession still, isn't that right? Especially late in the games, you're not really shot attempts. Not what you're worried about. You're worried about possession. So if they can still hold possession at the end of games, they're kind of doing their job. Yeah, that'll show right, it attempts but, against. Yeah, and you know they they have the best Corsi against per sixty of any line on the team, so they definitely do suppress. And that's just you know it doesn't make a lot of sense to me, and it just it goes back to sort of risk averse coaching. So um, yeah, you know, I, I'm not I'm not real happy about it. But the, again, those guys sort of fell off a little bit this week too, and I'm wondering why that is. It, you know, why it coincides with with Calvert going up to Carl's line, and then those guys solidifying their spot as the as the second line again. I mean, I think a lot of it is the fact that they're on the road. Uh, you take away the ridiculous Buffalo game where we won six one, and that line hasn't really done anything on the road. I think. No they don't match up great as a line when it's the other team with the last change in general. And I think Bednar, like you said, is really not comfortable just throwing them out there against whatever the other team has. Right. I mean, even string scoring is a problem with that line. And 
it's a good question. It, it seems like it's going to work for now, but, you know, maybe the whole the Wilson finally found a home thing and is going to have this fantastic year. Maybe they do need to kind of rethink of of who should be on that line or if they shouldn't should even keep Kerfoot and Jost together because after the Calgary game and the lines they had at the practice when Comfer was still healthy was having Jost with Soderberg and that was exciting because it was kind of definitely a new direction and then I, I don't know if Bedner just became less angry and didn't want to change as much or <laughs> if it was Comfer was out so he didn't want to have a bunch of changes because of that reason or whatever but he did kind of go back to more conservative lineup so I think the Joe line can continue on for now but especially if they're not doing anything at even strength that's a concern but if they're still good at possession does that really matter I mean if they're not producing anything I see why you know I, I see you know, they're, they're not giving the coaching staff a lot of reasons to play them. <clears throat> um, I, you know, I, I know I'm kind of down on Jost publicly, but, you know, I just, I don't like, I, I don't, I, I think the problem is between Kerf and Jost, really. I mean, I, I think Wilson's just sort of a guy there. He just performs a role. I don't think his chemistry with either one of them really makes any difference. Mm -hmm. So I, I think the chemistry between Jost and Kerfoot you know, something's wrong there. I mean, Joe's just really hasn't produced it at even strength at all. Um, you know, not that Kerfoot has done a lot either, but he's done more. So, you know, I I, I think the, the priority for the coaching staff really needs to be to get Joe's going at, at 5v5. And they're really going to need that, you know, not in the next month or two, but, you know, in, in January and February and March, they really will. So it's like the sooner they find a way to make him useful again, the better off they're going to be. And I, I think the main way to do that is to put him with Soderberg. Well, that would be nice. That's a little bit disappointing because the last thing you said about Soderberg was he's going to play with Matt Nieto and Matt Calvert until the heat death of the universe. Sure yeah. is. <laughs> I have a different opinion about that, but we haven't gotten there yet. I mean, that... I I think that's the most disappointing thing, especially over these games where the top line has taken over. We've seen Soderberg just get dragged down by the dead weights so badly. Yeah. I mean, like, you can't look at... I mean, Nioto has played better than he did in Calgary, obviously, but, you know, he's now in, like, top four, top five time on ice. And it's like, that's, you know, that's that not work. good. Right. And it's like, Calvert has, you know, Calvert has looked... You know, he's looked good on Carl's wing, but, you know, the guy can't finish. You know, he's the only yeah. forward on the team without a point. You're making he almost three million bucks a year, and you have no points eight games into the season. Well, right. Calvert's not really a defensive forward either. He sure isn't. So what does he do? He doesn't score. That's a whole that's lot of tryhard. He's <laughs> one of the eight fourth-liners on this team. He's a fourth-line, four-checking I mean, menace. That's what his job should be. So... Putting him on the on a line that has top two line time on ice makes me want to scream. Right, and I mean, I the, the things that he does well, I think, are, are are things that help the team, like being able to break, you know, have a breakaway and and be able to start a breakaway. 
just about any time. I mean, I think as an F1, that's a good thing. I mean, he, he can't finish and that's bad, but, <laughs> um, you know, it's like, that's a, that's a decent skill to have. I just don't know how, you know, you'd want that as someone taking top six minutes. <laughs> He's still my pick for the last regular, however you want to find that to get a point. I mean, it's that's, just him and Kamenev, if you count Kamenev, right? Yeah. I, I don't or count Barbaria. Kamenev as a regular or Barbario as a regular, so that's a bet you've already won. Um well, there's Zadorov. He hasn't scored no, yet. No, he got a point. They got. Yeah. They Did gave he? him a pity point. Yeah. yeah. No, his wasn't a pity point. He his was like he put the puck off of Rannon's boot. Fair, yeah. <laughs> Which I mean, we can we can call that calculated, but it wasn't. A, that's not. A, that's not a pity assist. It it would be in like the yeah. NBA, but not in the NHL. <laughs> but now that you now that we've you've brought up Kamenev, I I think he's looked pretty solid. He has. That that's one of the more exciting things besides the top line for me and it's he's played well enough that it's going to be very hard to take him out of the lineup and that's all we really wanted to see out of him. I would love for him to get a point soon, but uh, given who he has to play with on most nights, it's you can't blame him that he doesn't have one. Yeah, he's probably pretty much going to have to shoot his own points in. <laughs> um, um. The New Jersey game was definitely his best game, which also coincides with, I believe, that was the Avs' best game. And he he's helped that power play two unit look really good, which it was looking good anyway. But I think he's he slotted right into Comfer's role and has done a good job to the point of where I don't really miss Comfer. I, I know I was never his biggest advocate, but... If Comfort being out keeps Kamenev in the lineup and getting some power play and penalty kill time, I think I'd like to see that continue. It It's just a little worrying that Kamenev played 12 minutes in the New Jersey game, but only seven in the Carolina game. And I, I think that's maybe opened the door a little bit to sit him if the Avs need to make some tough decisions. But it's no fault of his own. He has done really well, especially building game after game. And, and I saw some, he does give the Avs website some quotes. So they are asking him about things. And he says that he's getting more comfortable and going to try to shoot more and create more offense and things like that. So I agree. It is one of the better things of this year to see a young guy step in and kind of earn his role little by little. It's just, the numbers game, I still think, hasn't gone away. This is going to be my Debbie Downer comment of the day, is that the fact that he didn't play hardly any special teams yesterday... Um, like, gives him an excuse. Yeah, well, it's just, we've seen this before, like, you know, sort of the, the, the engine coughing and sputtering before it dies. Um, but it wasn't his fault. Like, his line got did get stuck out for a while, but that wasn't his fault. <laughs> And I then, mean, his his five v five time doesn't bother me. Yesterday, it was it was pretty in line with what he was doing. It's the fact that he didn't play penalty kill or, or power. I mean, they well, hardly the used the power play, the second unit yesterday. But you know, he he wasn't on the ice for all of power play two's time. So right, um, so it's almost like setting up to give an excuse, take him out, which I don't right. think was. By his performance. It was almost like they have Dano now, so start setting the 
the stage, but we haven't gotten to him yet, so I won't open that door yet. But um, at the very least, I think he should be able to stay with the Avs. I don't know if he's going to play every game, but he should still have a roster spot. Plus, the Eagles don't need another forward, so that would be kind of silly too. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't think they'll send him down. But it just, you know, I, I think if they do plan on playing Dano right away, that he'll probably be the casualty. I mean, you know, it, it probably. I mean, there's there's no way you could hope it would be someone else. So you can hope right. it would be Bork because it, with with Dano coming and um, JT Comfer eventually returning to the lineup, they. The hope would be that you hang on to Kamenev on at least the fourth line, and then Bork probably becomes the victim of the numbers game, and Nieto rotates in and out of the yeah. lineup. But Bork we, was out with his buddies late in the game yesterday, so they're not—they're not even thinking of sitting him. Yeah, we know that's not going to happen. <laughs> but, and, it's, and it's like Bork. The only problem with Bork is when he's overused. I don't think it's ever his performance. Like you, pretty much know what you're going to get out of him, which I think is why Bettner likes him and Nemeth so much is because you generally get what you expect with those two. If we're talking about performance, it's Nieto. He just still has not had a great start to the season. We're several weeks in now. I felt like he was all right in the Carolina game. In the New Jersey game, he's still... There were issues there. The penalty... Right when they took the lead, he had a shift where he made two bad mistakes. I think two turnovers in each zone. And it was like, what is happening here? So Nieto should be the one if you're really going to sit down and talk about who's earning their ice time. But, you know, we've talked his, plenty. His time on ice increased basically every yeah. game this week. So it's <laughs> they're right. very happy kind of that. ridiculous, but yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, we're now like half an hour into the show and have only tangentially mentioned the top line. So I'm going to just wrench us in that direction now. Um, let's have a happy hour let's, here. Let's have a happy happy moment. Uh, apart from Landeskog's five goals in two games, he has six goals this week. Um, McKinnon and Rantanen, by the way, are each on an eight game point streak. And the last teammate in franchise history to start the year like that was nobody you've ever heard of, just Anton Stastny and Joe Sackick. So, well done there. Let's yeah. let's fight about it. Who's been better, McKinnon or Miko? Miko, hands by down. far. <laughs> it's not even close. Like, yeah, I'd, I'd say other kid, than yesterday, yeah, it's been Miko. The, the highest honor you can give an Avalanche player, in my mind, is comparing him to Peter Forsberg. And people are doing that with Miko Rantanen. <laughs> Remember yeah. last year when someone looked at him funny and he just fell over? <laughs> He's doing the reverse hit now. Yeah. I mean, the, his performance in the Devils game was, you know, I, I'm not even daring to say it. It was Forsbergian at times. And he was really good in that Rangers game. Yeah, it's not even that he's just not falling down. He's 80 feet tall and dangling people like he's Rocco's size. Like, <laughs> Yeah. He's making other people fall down all over the place. I mean, when he basically glanced at those two Devils guys behind the, the net and made them fall into each other and then took the puck, and I think that was Gabe's third goal of the yeah, game. Yeah. Jersey game. 
you know that was fantastic what he did to butcher on the empty net goal was just oh <laughs> um and it's kind of crazy he doesn't have a real goal yet i i believe he has two empty net goals the shootout goal which doesn't count but he hasn't even shot the puck past a goalie yet and he he's come very close so it's not that he's not trying or shooting it's just when that starts to go in for him uh, he's he's already having it you know it's a little funny because he started the exact same way last year and we were all like whoa miko has like eight assists to start the season and no goals is this something that is he gonna start putting the puck in the net and then obviously he ended that season over a point per game so the answer was points to good things yeah (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he's not like, you know, he he doesn't even have half as many shots as as McKinnon does. Um, so, but hardly any something. of these assists are cheap either. Like he he had the primary assist on the McKinnon goal streak going, and all the plays he's made, it's probably only been like one or two cheap points. Yeah, and he has more assists than than Gabe and Mac together. He has so. more assists than literally everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Even yeah. Austin Matthews. <laughs> Even Bergeron. Well, that's a line, eh? But, I mean, it, it's funny you look at the dynamics of that line. Like, you know, Mac has eight goals and, and six assists. Landy has seven goals and three assists. And then Miko's got two goals and 12 assists. But I, I only mention the, the falling down versus reverse hitting thing is just, just to point out that the, I think the biggest difference in his game between this year and last year is just that core strength where you're you're not getting him off the puck. It's not happening. You're going to have to steal it. It's the only yeah. way. And then he's using his size too. We know he's never going to be a, a physical hitter, but just, just by using his frame, it, he's able to open up so much space. Well, he just throws people around like they're children. I mean, <laughs> he doesn't have to hit people. It's just he yeah. throws them aside, you know? You can do that when you're 10 feet tall. Yeah. Which, I mean, that's even starting to show up in, like, the goal celebration photos where it's like, here's Miko Ranton and celebrating with his younger brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Miko Ranton checks in with a squirt team. Here's what it looks like after they scored. Yeah, he has been outstanding to the to the point that we haven't even had much room to talk about Nathan McKinnon being also yeah. outstanding. It's it's really a fun time when you look at the score box and you're like, Mika Rantanen had an insane four point nine and was the best player in the ice. Oh, and by the way, McKinnon casually had three assists. Yeah. I still think goals. Right. <laughs> And McKinnon's had some really nice goals. It's crazy that he can just place a shot where it just... If he gets an open look, it just doesn't even matter what the goalie does, what anyone on your team does, that he can place a shot that well. But I still don't know if McKinnon's found the the height of his game yet this season. I think, I think he is forcing things a little bit. I think it's getting a little bit better. Like like you said, the three assist night, and he made a couple nice plays. I think on a couple, one of them was a cheap point, but I, I know he made it. He's made a couple nice plays, especially on I think on one of the Landeskog goals in the Carolina game was passed. But so I, I think it's good that they can still function 
and putting up points when McKinnon still isn't quite fiery on all cylinders, which that's also scary. Yeah, it, yeah. I mean, he's still doing the hero mode thing, and it's still, still <laughs> producing like this. Yeah, I mean, he, he's still he's not he's not passing out of trouble well right now. Is is sort of the the thing that I'm seeing, and that's fine since they're still producing well above what you'd expect of them. Um, but sooner or later, he's gonna he, that's gonna click for him. And when he gets double teamed, instead of turning the puck over, that puck's gonna make it to to Gabe or Landy or, or one of the defensemen, and they're gonna be able to do something with it. So when that starts happening, that's just gonna magnify whatever they're doing now. And so uh, alongside everything that McKay and, M- and Miko are up to, we still have Gabe Landeskog who scored six goals this week. Which yeah. that's crazy. The captain went in. So yeah. my question is, which one of the three are going to win a star of the week? Because you know, one I'm pretty sure one of them is up there statistically for the week, but It'll the league Gabe. will never. Yeah, probably the league will never give it to all of them. So him with the hat trick and the goals. Yeah, it'll it'll be six game. goals in a week. Yeah, <laughs> Ranton's gonna fall into that category where he's like underrated to the point where everyone knows he's underrated, and he gets marked as the underrated guy, even though they know he's really good. But yet nobody will still ever hype him. I know pe- people would say, "Oh yeah, Miko Ranton's really underrated," but then nobody's willing to step on the soapbox and drive the hype. I mean, he's second in the league in scoring. What do you want? I mean, <laughs> if that doesn't get you press, I don't know what would. He should. Well, he, he should. doesn't play for Toronto, so. Right. And I'm just saw... saying, if, if they were going to hype him, they'd be like, oh, here's this young forward the Avalanche have that you might not know much about. And here he is second in the league in scoring. He's he's not got the name recognition yet. He doesn't play in a Canadian market. He's not a Canadian kid. He's got basically not a whole lot working for him in terms of getting the press until he earns it himself as my dog continues breakdancing on the floor next to us here um it he's gonna have to demand that respect and um and press time because he's sharing his line with nathan mckinnon who if you think back to his draft year was billed as potentially being the next one before Connor mcdavid was the next one I, I would say he's he's held up his end of the bargain to to get the recognition at this point. Like I would rather see Miko get a star of the week than say Landeskog. Not that he doesn't deserve one too, but like you said, for the recognition and Miko's been good for a long time. It's not like this is a surprise. Not at all. I, but again, I mean, six goals. You're just yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it's hard to be mad when the conversation is which of our three fantastic players <laughs> gets the honors. <laughs> like, yeah. Of course, of course. And I'll make the counter argument that I'm I'm glad it's Gabe because you know he wasn't he wasn't really a redheaded stepchild to that line last year, but he kind of was. I mean, like only sixty odd points. You know. Oh, I know. It'll start up again. Like when he isn't scoring like that, and then it's like what. What is he actually doing? He'll go a week what? where he has two assists and no goals, and it'll be, he's just Dustin Brown. Yeah. Like, why can't he score 30 goals? This is like Dater. He's, I mean... Why can't he score 30 goals? Obviously, Landy does all the defensive work on that line, but it's 
it does matter when he's putting the puck in the net because if he's scoring on that line as well, then you might as well just throw in the towel. Like whoever has to defend that line is like, okay, I'm going to be a minus two tonight. Oh yeah. And I'll bring up my stat again of every year that Landy scored at least 60 points at 25 goals. They've made the playoffs. So well, he got a fourth of the way there this week. Um, <laughs> and some of that is because he does so, so much. Work. Like this, this is a hard work and, um, hard work and dude you're talking about here with Gabe Landeskog getting that recognition and getting an interview with NHL Network uh, Saturday morning, this morning, or Sunday morning, I mean, as, as we record, it was this morning. Um, just kind of talking about playing with this line and how he part of his practice regimen includes, you, you know, standing there and just tipping pucks, tipping pucks, tipping pucks, tipping yeah. pucks. Yeah, the Joe Pavelski practice yeah. thing. Like, I love that so much. Like, obviously, he doesn't practice getting knocked over and then getting up to his knees and tipping it as he tries to recover. But he can do that because he's m- done so much detail work that just standing there and tipping a puck isn't hard anymore. Yeah. And that's great. They need greasy goals like that. That's what this team has n- not had for... Uh, how long has this show been going? Longer than that. Longer than that. <laughs> Longer than I've been here. So, more of that, please. Um, and that will also l- allow um, guys with weaker shots from the blue line, like Barry or Gerard, to then shoot for tips instead of trying to pick a corner or blast it through shin pads, which that never works. <laughs> I will also say Jost is good at tipping pucks. On the power play, at least. It's kind of his job on the power play. To stand there in the middle and try to change the puck's direction. But, um... I don't think you would be too big of a stretch to just hand that line all three stars this week. Um, mainly because, like, they scored all the goals. (laughs) Yeah, it'd be pretty hard not to. Gabe Landeskog himself scored as many goals as all the Avalanche opponents did. Is if you don't count the shootout goal as a goal, which we shouldn't, because that's stupid. <laughs> I would also say the goalies deserve a star. Yeah, I was going to say Grubar. You'd have to give him one, just because he looked pretty ordinary in his his first start against Buffalo or uh, Columbus, and you know that 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 caused a little consternation in the the fan ranks. Yeah, and I mean. He, it re- he really backed it up. Whether it did for you or not, it definitely caused consternation in the fan ranks. I think the Carolina game, he definitely deserved a star for. Um, I know they shot a million low-quality shots, but they had a number of high-danger chances, too, that he put to bed. Uh, I didn't love him as much in the Jersey game, but he he was he looked like he was fighting the puck in that game a little bit, but he did enough to get the job done. And that's good enough for now. I agree with that. I, I would say the New Jersey game was good, but not brilliant. But that he did follow it up in that Carolina game with with uh, some some more of those big saves you want to see. Not that you want to see goalie have to make them, but you know it happens. And then I feel like in since it was ancient history when Varley was a net so long ago against the Rangers. He earned them a point in that game. God, this has been such a long week. Yeah, yeah I mean, the, the Rangers game, for as 
you know, as bad as most people saw it, it was a very good goalie battle. Yeah. But, I mean, this is something that I think people overlook um, when, when we tend to downplay the role of, you know, like, all, we, we look at on-ice save percentage as being basically a luck metric, which, for, 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 defense, for defenders and for forwards, which would then kind of lead you to think that the goalie is a completely independent player and that's not that's not entirely the case grubauer is playing for a new team he's playing behind a new to him defensive system he's gonna have a couple of games like against columbus and against new jersey where he does fight the puck a little bit because he's still adjusting to how the avalanche play in front of him um obviously he didn't get nearly as much help against the blue jackets as he did against the devils which makes a difference but i'm hoping that as we go forward we're gonna see more like Carolina and less like Columbus, just as he gets more accustomed to the team playing in front of him. Yeah, it's. I, I think it goes both ways too. Um, for years and years, the Avs have tailored their defensive shots allowed to what Varley wants. And you look at how Varley and Grubauer play in net, and they're two very, very different goalies. So when Grubauer's back there, the things he's going to want to give up as a defense that he has to make the save on is going to be different than Varley. Uh, Varley's lateral movement is some of the best in the game, and Grubauer's definitely not as good. So things like cross-crease passes and stuff like that, obviously you never want to give them up, but even more so with someone like Grubauer in net. Yeah, I agree. Um, you know, yeah, I... You know, I, I definitely go in with the, you know, it, it's going to take a while for him to adjust just because, you know, you're, you're playing behind someone like Barry, who's in a situation where, you know, he's he's a little difficult to play behind and he's with a new partner and, and they're not really hitting it off that well. And that's, you know, that's creating stress. The team's taking a lot of penalties constantly and that's a lot of stress. So, I mean, it's just, you know, dealing with, you know, being a Colorado Avalanche player is, is something in and of itself. <laughs> so let's then look at scratches this week. It's obviously the team took home five out of six points, so some of it will be stretching a little bit. But obviously everything is not perfect. Um, so who do we scratch this week? The Colberry pairing. <laughs> Yeah, so, Barry is going to be mine. <laughs> so when you, when you say Cole Barry out loud, it sounds a little different than it looks on paper. It sounds like you're talking about late night comedians. <laughs> <laughs> Why well, I, I bring up the pairing because I don't think they individually deserve a full scratch. I think Cole kind of is what he is. Like he has done some good work holding on to the lead and he does take some penalties like Earl was worried about. And sometimes the puck skill isn't great, but sometimes <laughs> yeah, I... I do like how he can get away with the hits that I don't think necessarily everyone could get away with. He, he right. can be pretty physical at times and get away with stuff. So I don't mind Cole, but I don't think he necessarily needs to get played on that pairing with Barry. And then Barry just hasn't done a whole lot. He, he hasn't produced much, five on five and his minutes are going down and 
maybe that's the staff just trying to manage him a bit better, but I think he's quietly maybe becoming a concern. It It's funny how apt calling Cole an upgrade for Nemeth was, because, right. like, he's literally Nemeth plus, like... Nemeth but better. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I can kind of see that. Like, I, I personally was hoping for a little bit more on the offensive side from him. I, you know, I, I think he's fine, but we've talked about this before with Barry, where you kind of really need someone that can move the puck enough to complement him and allow things to get freed up. Cole doesn't ice the puck like Nemeth does, which is great, but he still dumps the puck out just as much, and then Barry doesn't have possession to break it out, so... Barry's just been not useful at even strength at all, honestly. He's got two points. They're both primary assists, but he's got two points in eight games, um, which is not what you want from a guy like Tyson Barry, who's rocking a 42% Corsi. It's not a, that if you're not possessing the puck and you're not scoring, that that's not Tyson Berry. That's not what we want. The one thing I think is weird is that his time on ice is not <clears throat> it's not that good. I mean, it, he's not playing as much as he did last year. And generally, what would happen when he was struggling is you know they would actually play him more, give him more chances to get involved. And they're not doing that this year. So I don't know what that signals, whether, you know, they don't have to have him going in their minds. Um, but I just, I thought that was interesting that, you know, he can be fifth or sixth in time on ice for defensemen. And, you know, it's not a big deal. It's like, you don't really notice like, yeah, you can say like, yeah, you know, Barry didn't do anything tonight, but it's, you know, it's not hurting the team really. So. I mean, you'd be taking minutes away from Gerard is really the realistic option and Gerard plays the most of the team at five on five like sometimes EJ sneaks in there but I think I think overall Gerard has the most minutes per game I mean five five. I, I agree with that but and I don't know if Gerard deserves a scratch he probably doesn't but this week was Gerard was significantly worse than he was in the first two weeks I, w- I mean, I wouldn't say that strong. I would say he wasn't as dynamic offensively, but defensively, I think he was just just as no, good. I disagree. He was in the Carolina game, but in the first two, he was making a lot of mistakes with the puck in the defensive zone. Like, there were some bad turnovers that he made, and that's fine. He's still a 20-year-old kid. It's going to happen. He's not perfect. So I'm not worried about it or anything, but like, it is worth noting that he did have a bit of a down week. He's yeah. He's had little goofy turnovers like that all season. Um, that especially in the first couple of games went right in the back of the net. But uh, the difference <laughs> is he's he's had fewer of the outstanding hero plays to balance him out this week. Like like he had that one amazing back check against New Jersey where the the forward had a breakaway and just took too long to figure out what to do. And Sam was like, nope. But, I uh, just I I think that the Devils and or was that Carolina, Carolina are, are... That might yeah it was Carolina. on Ajo I think I just remember he was a red good. jersey. I just think that he has the bar so high it's like any turnover people notice because it's like usually him alone with the puck but then if you look at how many turnovers Barry makes or EJ makes or the guys that can't move the puck make it's like all the time. 
Yeah. But it's like their mistakes said, are a little different than his. Like, his are, oops, the puck shouldn't have gone there. But, like, in overtime, he was really good in that um, Rangers game. Like, his defensive play is what got them to the shootout. I just, I just think his mistakes are of a, of a brand that are extremely obvious. As opposed, yeah, to, as opposed to somebody like maybe Ian Cole who would be like, oh, I have three passing options at the blue line, I'll, I'll just dump it. Like, you don't necessarily <laughs> right. see that, but it's not good either. Like like I said, I don't think Sam deserves a, a full-on scratch for the week. I just think it, it's worth noting that a 20-year-old kid isn't going to be perfect every week, and sometimes you're going to see his minutes get cut when he plays like that. Yeah. He still he, plays a lot, though. He's an honorable mention, maybe. Before we put Barry to bed, there's one thing I wanted to ask you guys. He's really, uh, Barry is really struggling passing the puck. And I mean, he's always turned it over a lot. And that's sort of just a, a function of having the puck a lot in intense situations. Right. But I'm just seeing a lot of, you know, not, not great passing from him. And I'm just wondering, you know, do you think his hands are going away or maybe he's got a little bit of an injury there? He's never been a great passer. No, that's but this never really works. been in his skill set. I don't know. I just think maybe the bar has raised for passing from defensemen, and you notice it more. I mean, it's just he doesn't pass it the way he used to. And yes, I know that's not, you know, he's never been that great at it. But it's like he's made a lot of breakout passes that are like behind guys or. You know, just just. I think just forcing things, maybe. I I think he's also a bit on the hero train. Yeah, we've you know the the whole first line for a while there before this week, there was a lot of ugly passing going on, and they would still kind of like force their way through and pick up a point per game or a goal per game that whole line, but it it seems like everyone else is kind of starting to click into the systems and the passes are getting more accurate, but for Barry, it's just not. Right. It's it's like the early season rust isn't going away. Like that drop pass that he had with Mac yesterday that he put it all the way to the goal line? Yeah, that was... He was one step from the blue line, and he dropped it two full zones. (laughs) (laughs) Dude! (laughs) Which is why maybe he should take a break on Power Play 1, but I know. I beat that drum every week. I like that song. It's a good song. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> the best drop pass of the week was the one where Mac did accidentally didn't drop it to Barry and ranted and picked it up and fired it to Landeskog who went in and scored so <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was almost That's as good so as Connor great. McDavid's totally on purpose drop pass the one where didn't, didn't catch that one <laughs> uh, he was skating in with the puck and then just kind of like moved his stick over it, and then an oiler who happened to be right behind him for some reason shot and scored. <laughs> it, it was like the Rocket League is talking goal of all time, and, and Connor McDavid <laughs> told the media, no, I didn't do that on purpose. I'm just like, dude, why? <laughs> you always meant to do it. Come on now. He doesn't need any more credit, though. So yeah, who, no. who else do we want to have stapled to the bench this week? I'll, well, I mean, Leto. I'll throw Calvert's name out there. You know, I I think yeah. we've we've reached the point in the season that he's kind of on my perma scratch list until he at least gets a point. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fair. I, I mean, I, I think some of the dynamic of Carl's line improved when he moved up there rather than Bork. But 
you know, it's like it, it. We're eight games in, and you haven't produced a point at all, and you know that's just that's that's tough. And the team, yeah, the tryhards like five goals several times. Yeah, I mean he's the not making eight hundred thousand bucks like Gabe Bork, and, and he's, <laughs> you know, he People was brought always... in to to do something. People always appreciate the breakaways and the tryhard, but he just really hasn't come close to scoring or creating a goal. Like, there wasn't any, oh, just missed, or whatever. Even though he's had some good chances. Like, I think of Kamenev setting him up in particular was one. But, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much offense we can expect from him, and that is a bit of a concern. Everything he has created has been shorthanded, and then it was with JT Comfer involved. So, you know, it's been a minute. Yeah. Because we, we didn't really mention it, but JT Confer has been missing since the Calgary game. Yeah. No. Uh, that that terrible face-off number should be a clue. Yeah. Well, you had Kamenev play more minutes this week, and Andrew Ghetto came back, so I'm sorry to say he wasn't really missed. I definitely think he was missed. Yeah, I mean, he... <laughs> A dude that scored, you know, three goals and an assist in five games, you're going to miss that. And I, I think with the, but it the depth been scoring instead. completely going away is sort of an indication. Yeah, I mean, our one depth goal in the last two games was a depth goal by about one millimeter. So <laughs> It was still the guy he replaced in the lineup with Andrew Ghetto. So... And, yeah, I like, don't get me wrong, I'm very happy that Ghetto is back in the lineup, but... We're talking about Matt Nieto, Gabe Bork, and Matt Calvert, and they have two points between the three of them. And Calvert can play the PK just fine, just as well as those guys can, so... Yeah, Yeah, I would prefer to have Comfer with Andrew Ghetto and Kamenev, too, but I'm just saying the reality of him going out and Andrew Ghetto and Kamenev coming in really hasn't changed much. So for the third scratch, I'm going to move that we scratch the scratches segment because we're sitting here picking on fourth-line players. And that's a good problem to have. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, that's fair. With honorable mention to Sam Gerard-ish and honorable mention to the officials in the New Jersey game, get out of my league. So that's very much like the waiver wire. Um, Colorado made a waiver claim this week. Marco Dano from the Winnipeg Jets. What do we know about Mr. Dano? He's got a new video up on the ad site. Nice. Uh, <laughs> we know he's like the reclamation waiver project that Bednar and this version of the Av seem to love, and that's about as far as that goes. Um, yeah. Well, it depends how many how factoid deep you want to get, but he came from Winnipeg. He. He's he's also played for Columbus in Chicago, but he's been in Winnipeg the last couple years. Last year, he was pretty much the designated healthy scratch. He scratched nearly 60 times. And I guess they just finally decided they'd had to make a decision this year, either to play him or find him a new place to play, either with another team or they would have sent him to the AHL. So... I know his uh, defensive metrics are good. Um, he scored a lot in his whatever you would call his first season or rookie season. He had that's when he was the most productive. I don't remember exactly how many points it was, but um, 
So this is definitely like a reclamation project. We thought we didn't have one. Surprise, surprise. It's it's a really hard claim for me to justify. I, I kind of understood it at the time when I didn't know how long Confer and Andrew Ghetto were going to be gone. But Confer's practicing. Andrew Ghetto is back in the lineup. Uh, yeah, sure, Dano can be a better 13th or 14th forward over someone like Sheldon Dries, but... Did he really? Do we really need to take up a contract spot, a roster spot for him? And and now I will get to Greer and the Eagles, I'm sure. But it it feels for the millionth time like another body in the way that isn't really going to provide a whole lot. Yeah, I'm not too high on this. Um, I I think it was a panic move and didn't need to be done. <clears throat> um, I don't think he's going to add anything. I mean, in. If he was going to re- replace someone uh, in the lineup, then great. But you know, he, he's just sort of taking up a spot that they were using to to take a look at some of the younger guys, and you know, that, that's kind of dumb. My thoughts on uh, what I think like that it's mainly like it's going to depend on how they use him. If they put him in the roster to push Bork and Nieto down the gap, the depth chart, the depth chart, then that that's a claim that I'm not going to be like, oh, it's awful. But if he, I think that's the idea because I think they didn't like on the Soderberg line, and they're trying Calvert, and he's just like a placeholder right now. I think because Bedner and the staff they know Dano from when he played with them in the the uh, the Columbus system. Because of course he, has, he did. Yep, <laughs> and he has good defensive numbers. I think he's going to be the one that goes on that Soderberg line. Now, I'm not saying the next game or the very first game he plays, but I think that's the idea. And I think he was on the list. Like, when they saw him waived, he was someone they actively wanted. Like, if they did it just because they needed one more forward, that's insane because they have several options for the Eagles that were previous flavors of the month not too long ago. And... They don't need any more extra forwards. Like with Kamenev, Dries is decent. You, like you said, Andrew Ghetto came back and everything. So I don't think it was like, a, we have one injury, we need a forward. Because that would be even more the issue, stupidity. <laughs> the issue here is, we've already talked about it, seems like they're setting up Kamenev to be the odd man out, and that would be bad. Uh, yeah, but, sure, but that further, would be disappointing. Further than that, it's... You know, we talked about this at length on the Discord, but Dano has basically zero special teams time on either side of the puck. And if you're going to put that into your bottom six, I mean, the guy's just not going to play very much. Well, that never stopped him before that no one's ever had special teams time. They'll teach him. In games. And who knows, maybe he did in the AHL when he played for Bednar, because Bednar says that he can do special teams. uh, There's plenty of other guys you can give that trial by fire in the NHL to than a waiver claim, but okay, I'll I'll drop it there. The tough thing for me is they they, they already had three plugs in the lineup that can't score. With with Bork and, and Nieto and and Calvert, and now you're just adding to that, and it's just, you're you're making your lineup less skilled and and less apt to score. Uh, Daniel's a better scorer than Bork or Calvert, I think. Yeah, I'm not ready. To I say mean, maybe he is, but he's got to prove it. I think 
I think this move could have the upside of, say, like when they brought in Andrew Ghetto. I'm not saying he's that player or score that much, but I don't think this is like picking up Mark Andre Cleish and he's going to have like two points. I think I think he could do something more, especially on that Soderbergh line. I the I, they put I on agree. It. I think the potential of him being an Andrew Ghetto type player is there, but you really only have room on a team for one Andrew Ghetto type player. But, but what is that's the likelihood what he's... that he's going to turn out better than he has been for the last several years? I mean, that's just, you know, I, I know I he probably has the skills, you know, to, to be better than his statistics indicate, but the you know, it's, it, why bet say... on that? that he's been a decent defensive player. Like, I don't I don't think it's expecting him. It's like people that were expecting Calvert to score, like, 30 points. So, no, I'm not saying, like, he's just going to show up and be something better than he was. But he, he had good defensive numbers. If you He didn't play one game of 10 minutes or more last year. And I bet, like, within the first couple games he plays with the Avs, he's going to play, like, he's going to cross that threshold easy. Like, I think they plan to actually play this guy, like, for real. And he's just not going to be in the fourth-line plug rotation. I, I don't think that's a good plan, straight up, though. You have plenty of guys that you're still trying to sort out what they can do, and you could give them more minutes. So why bring in another guy that you have that problem with? And yeah, yeah I mean, that's like, my why, problem Why put this it. dude on Carl's line instead of Joe's? I mean, that just makes zero sense. It's like, Jost is your number one pick from several years ago. He's having a tough time getting things going. And and this you know. is the abs always looking for outside solutions. Like, for me, I'm on the positive side of Dano in particular. I, if they had to do this, I don't mind they picked him. But I agree. Yeah. Like you, you have enough forwards. You have enough options. Like, God forbid you actually think about using someone you drafted that's playing on your AHL team. It just pushes everyone down more. Their argument's going to be, you know, we're in January, we're going to have, like, four injuries, and we're going to need all these people. And there's That's definitely, how they look at it. There's definitely a, a lot of merit to that argument. And I'm, I think I'm probably the most positive on this move, on this panel at least. Um, because, I mean, if, even if he directly replaces Matt Calvert on the Soderberg line, he's a better player defensively, and he scores a little bit, which is better than not very good defensively and scores not at all. But yeah, this also has to rest on the thought that one of those guys, either Nieto, Calvert, or Bork, has to sit at some point, because if you're just going to sacrifice Kamenev, Spoiler, they won't. <laughs> yeah, then, then it's a less good decision. Then it's then it's more of the please stop doing these old things that didn't help you win hockey. Right. Um, but, but we have to give them the opportunity to actually do that bad decision before we hang them for it. <laughs> yeah, it's a stay tuned, but, you know, it's go a, for it. It's, it's either I don't like where this is going or wait and see. That's, I mean, can't really hang for it yet. Yeah, I mean, the, the the problem is here, the best case scenario is one of those four guys ends up back on waivers by the end of the year. Yeah. No, because then they would just have to play for the Eagles. <laughs> we should have a party if that happens. 
No, we should not. We should have a party regardless. No, not 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 that he goes to the Eagles. Like if, if he gets someone like that gets put on waivers, that'd be the, the the craziest thing ever. But it's not like there aren't any options with the Eagles, like you were saying. Um, it's it's definitely too early to think about him in the NHL. But shout out to Martin Cow who scored his first goal as a North American pro. Yeah, it was a pretty one too. I yeah, it was. You know, he's there's definitely been an adjustment period for him, but if you watch him, you can see all of the underlying skill there, and I think people are going to be real happy with him once we hit, like, December. I, I liked it because on Friday night, he was shut out in shots, and he had been pretty steady with two or three at least per night before that. And, and... we don't really trust the shot counter either though <laughs> right but zero is zero usually like it, he probably had one you know R- Rudo will testify that he had at least one right in front yeah, of him but I still, saw you it. Know, what, <laughs> it it wasn't his it wasn't his average night because he usually does generate quite a few and um he came back last night and and sort of redoubled his efforts and it paid off um, well, he does he does a lot of the non-flashy things like you can watch people watch him and they say he didn't do much. Like I expect more from a first round pick, but he does so many little things right. He's he's good on the back check. He's good defensively. He makes good plays. He he's a really good passer. Like he he's a smart player in that. But yeah, he just needs to get like the confidence going. Like we we saw it in camp and preseason. Like he'll he'll start kind of cautious, but then he'll he'll start working through it. I think that goal will be huge for him. And it was a big goal. It was. They they had a two nothing lead and then got two two tie and right after the other team scored to make it two two it was like less than a minute and he scored that goal in the third period so yeah that was like that was a huge moment too and I think that's going to do a lot for his confidence. So can I just yeah. go off the rails for just a minute about draft pedigree um, because like you're saying people are going to expect a little bit more out of a first round pick. It's really frustrating to watch. Um, the way people talk about draft pedigree for me, because like we'll we'll come into a, a given draft year and and like this year it was wide open. It wasn't necessarily heavy on top end talent. You never really knew where anybody was gonna go. And as soon as that draft is over, now it's equal to all other first round drafts. Like we've forgotten that drafts are not equal. They're not all the the year that saw Miko Rantanen be picked what 10 11 like, they're not all that 10 big. yeah <clears throat> they're not and it you know it's it's tough to gauge because even if it's not a deep draft if a first round pick doesn't make the NHL that hurts you right but if Cout you know peaks out as a third liner type guy you should be pretty happy with that you can't expect yeah. him to be. You can't expect all of it first to score a point per game. I mean, that's just not fair. Well, and it's also people that expect a guy like Cout to take a coast to coast, split the D, and put it top shelf. I mean, you know, that's just not him. Um, and, that, and that's not why you draft him either. I mean, it's like you draft Martin Cout because he's very smart. Um, he can do a lot at in all three zones and he's already showing that as a very young player and you know he's he's the kind of solid guy that that's going to develop into someone that 
that you know you can be very comfortable using in any situation and, and that's something they really haven't gotten out of really young guys at an early age other than landy kind of so what kind of track do you think we might be on to see him join the avalanche would it be late this season would it be maybe training camp next year he should definitely push to make the team next year. He should be, like, I'd be surprised if he doesn't make the team. Like, he should be able to at least contribute as a third liner next year. And one year in the AHL will be plenty for him, especially since he had over a year professional experience in the Czech Republic. I'd like to see him get a call up around January. Like, I'm sure they'll keep him under the nine game limit at this point. And that's fine. Um, but I think bringing him to the NHL and showing him what, what he's going to need to work on over the summer to be at that level, I think would be good for him. And I don't want them to wait till March when it's the holy crap playoff push. You know, I think, I think if he goes to the world juniors and then comes back in January, gets a few weeks or games there, I think that would be the perfect timing for him. And that's usually when, like, the death of injuries hits is around January, February. So I would really like to see him come up and get, like, a real actual call-up, some decent minutes in a decent role, and kind of use his games in that spot. And I think he'll be ready for it then, too. Yeah, we just don't want yeah. to do it so early that you have that easy fallback of, we can't use our lineup to develop a kid <laughs> right now. We're in a playoff. Right, place. yeah. So um, another name I keep hearing this weekend has been A.J. Greer. Yeah. Which is a never-ending name around these parts. Yeah. For, for well, he leads the team in scoring uh, seven points in six games. He's He's been consistently good now through um, all six games they played in the AHL. I felt like I was never disappointed in his camp. They just put him in a fourth-line role, and he played that role. So this is why the, the downside, the Dano thing, is uh, you have a kid that's earning something in the AHL and now he's what like how many guys behind before they're ever even going to call him up but he does look good he's playing well he's producing he's um he's still that sandpaper element so he's he's holding up his end of the bargain yeah it's nice to see because they've they've really developed a really good first line with Greer and, and Bodan and Scott Kosmachuk. Um between them they have 18 points in six games um, so it's you know they're, they're not yes, exactly max line but put in the ECHL last year is now their top center right um, but it's you know <clears throat> it's nice to see a guy like Bodan who, who really didn't have the coach's trust last year um, has sort of found that with Cronin and uh, the former ECHL staff, um, and, and it's paying off. I mean, he's he's scoring some fantastic goals, and you know he's really taken over sort of a, a first line center leadership role on the ice. That's great to see. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, the Dano claim is it uh, the Avs with that that that's as far as the Avs can possibly kick the second wave of of prospects graduations down the line and Greer is suffering from that. He's put together a very good start to the season. Yes. He needs to continue to play well, but right now today he should be the next call up. If, if the, if Comper gets, has a setback and 
say Nieto gets hurt, Greer was probably in line to be the call-up before they claimed Dano. And that sucks for Greer because he's doing everything right this year. He Not only the production and playing well, but doing things that he needed to do, like getting penalty kill time and developing in the areas that a bottom sixer should be developed in. And it's frustrating to, to see it all finally come together for him and he's still just getting bodied. And they keep calling I, him Sheldon Dryce anyway. Well, then there's still Logan O'Connor. Remember, he was the flavor of the month four weeks ago. So Dries was the flavor two weeks ago. O'Connor was the flavor four weeks ago. I guess a week ago it was Kamenev. Now it'll probably be Dano. And Greer was never one of those guys. I still think Greer needs to show this for several months before they're really going to take him seriously. But why should he? You know what I mean? Like, he's... <laughs> why? Because so he got Dries called up last year good... and he didn't do anything. I mean, that's, you know, I, I hate it for the guy, but that's just, that's what happened. So I mean, it's he... the new is better principle still. Like, if if you're not new, then your hurdle is so much bigger than everybody else's. I, I don't agree with that. I, if he is continues to do this then he holds on to his spot there's nothing wrong with prospect competition and the ones that are consistently playing well being the call-ups so he does need to continue doing this i don't know if a couple of months seems a little excessive like if he's still doing this halfway through november and they're not even considering calling him up i think that's ridiculous but it's tough to it's it's tough to not like the fact that you have people competing for those call-up spots Sure, everyone playing better, that's great. But it's it's also like would Bodan need to have like three point per game to even be in the conversation? What would Bodan have to do to get a call up? And I know this is getting into like AHL rant territory, but it's just like he's he's performing well and playing well as well. And what would it take for him to get in the conversation? It's just the pecking order's been set and I mean, I hate it for JC, but I don't think he's got a shot this year. And, and uh, you know, part of that is that he's not in the last year of his contract. So that's that's also not like earning earning your spot. It's it's about the politics. I mean, he could force it. Up. I mean, if he's you know, if he keeps up, you know, if if he increases the pace that he's on now, if he's a true number one center still in in January, I mean, I I think they would definitely think about bringing him up, but. But I mean, to say that someone has to be at a point per game, especially when we don't know if the scoring is going to continue on this team, which it hasn't in the past. So, I mean, well, I, mean, I, it's I all think you have of, to show that. <laughs> it, it, it's all kind of a moot point anyway, right? Because unless we get decimated by injuries, guys like Dano are going to go in anyway, and these guys aren't really even going to shake into the NHL lineup. Pretty much. Like, if they ever had that many injuries, they'd probably either make a trade or pick someone else up on waivers. They're never going to go four, five, six, seven forwards deep into their system. Well, let's go back to happy talk then. Um, <laughs> because this got very dark. Josh um, Dickinson made his Eagles debut last night. and Very interesting. I, I, <laughs> I mean, all right, here's, here's the real positive that no one can deny with the Eagles, and that's Pavel Francis. Yeah. Yes. He's and the win- best goalie in the AHL right now. Yes. And- <laughs> yes. That's what we like to hear. And, yeah. Yeah. And they and they've won four games in a row. That's positive. And they've done it mostly with a young lineup, which I'm very happy about. And um 
so that's step one. That's definitely step one of having proper development is actually playing the kids and then surprise, surprise, they win. Who would have thought about that? Yeah, so. I mean, Frank Cruz's uh, performance over the last four games, you know, it's like, you know, at first you're like, oh, this is going to be a great year for the Eagles. And now you're sort of like, I'd really like to see what he could do at the NHL level. Yeah, he's going to get a shot. He's he's, he's definitely going to play for the Avs at some point this yeah. year. A goalie I, will get hurt. It'll happen. I talked about Varley and Grubauer's lateral movement earlier. Pavel's lateral movement is like Varley's. That dude can yeah. get across the crease. Nice. Yeah, it's like it's you can't even follow him with your eyes. Sometimes, I mean, it's he's very quick. It's uh, early, but he does, he's bordering on looking unfair at the AHL level. Yeah. Definitely good to it's, hear a solid update on Franco's watch. Um, we also got an update for you on Makar watch. Yeah, buddy. This is where somebody who knows NCAA hockey better than me takes over. Uh, Makar looks like a top five pick. Shots. Not a top four, though. <laughs> <laughs> Not as good as anyone that's played in Europe, but still. <laughs> the last I saw, uh, he has like infinity points in a small number of games or something. Eight, eight points in four games. Yeah, it's always hard to remember because the time of the year the NCAA plays a lot of fake games that don't count for points. But yeah, they, they play exhibition and then they those points don't count. But all of Makar's points are real, and I think he's—I don't think he's leading the NCAA, but it's close. That's a whole new kind of fake points. Yeah, <laughs> true fake like, points. Like a. Uh, Bauer's team, BU, played the U.S. national development team. And those are high school kids. Yeah, so but so here's what's exciting about Makar. First game of the season, comes out, scores four points. UMass absolutely crushes RPI. Makar has a highlight real goal, an additional goal, and two decent assists. And that's fantastic. You're super happy about that. But a lot of people were like, well, I mean, that team is bad. <laughs> You know, like even for UMass's standards, that is not a good team <laughs> to play against. I was gonna say, is it UMass bad? And then this weekend, last this past weekend, they play the number one ranked team in NCAA in Ohio State, and Makar puts up three points, and they get the upset. And so there's no, you can't look at that and go, well, their competition sucked. Makar just dominated one of the best teams in all of the NCAA. And, yeah, and, and then you uh, got a point in the next one too. So yeah, he's. Uh, and, and UMass kept that. You know, they kept it tied until there was two minutes left. So it's. I mean, you know, it's it's hard to make the equation between the two teams, but it's it's basically. I mean, Ohio State is is very very good, and UMass is kind of. They're they're getting better. Like they're yeah. young guys are one year older, and some of their freshmen are pretty talented. But it's still. It's still a team that's running on a lot of young guys, and it's it's kind of rising out of the ashes. So, but it's safe to um, say that that Makar's performance was a large component in them being able to bridge the gap to the top team in the country. Definitely, and it it does look like he will have. I was never worried about Makar's game, but for him to have the production that eases some fears that people have, where he's 
maybe really isn't that dynamically skilled or whatever it is. It's good from that standpoint. And I think he will, I think that team will have a decently good year. So I think, I think they will accomplish some things. Yeah. A lot of people were a little bit discouraged last year when, because his numbers weren't just astronomical. Um, so it's good to hear that he's been just out there roughing people up and just doing things. Cause yeah. that's uh, it's, as far it's as the I'm progress concerned, you want to see in in hockey, just being out there, just go out and do stuff is a pretty high compliment because there's like five or six other guys out there trying to stop you from doing stuff. Um, so do we have any last thoughts on this week before we look ahead to next week? Okay. Well, let's do it better next week. Yeah, we need not just MGM to exist. <laughs> yeah, we, the Avalanche <laughs> definitely have been winning ugly. Um, there's there's a couple of opportunities for them to maybe win pretty this week. It's packed this week. Uh, starting on Monday, it's a 5 Could o'clock. they win gritty this week? They could win gritty this week. Um, <laughs> I'm going to... <laughs> I'm going to extreme groan at that one. <laughs> because the Avalanche do start on Monday at 5 o'clock Mountain Start in Philadelphia against the Flyers to wrap up the road trip. On Wednesday, the Avs are back at home against the Tampa Bay Lightning. It's a 7.30 Mountain Start. It's a 30 start. On Friday, our good friends, the Ottawa Senators, swing through town at 7 o'clock Mountain. And then Colorado pay a visit on Saturday to the stupid Minnesota Wild, 6 o'clock Mountain. That's back-to-back with travel against a division opponent Wild team that has had a day of rest and a four-day break earlier in the week, and they're on game three of a homestand. Schedule maker? Uh, hello? It does sound like a four-point week might be a good... Not a good thing, but... It'll probably be a good outcome. <laughs> All games are on altitude except the Lightning on Wednesday, which is at 7.30 because it's the NBC Sports late game. You know, Wednesday night rivalry. It's that famous rivalry between the Avalanche and the Lightning. <laughs> it's the night you love to hate. Where they start the game and we don't get to watch the first 10 minutes because the previous game goes into overtime every time. <laughs> on TV, that's true. But if you use your cable to log in to the internet and watch on the god-awful NBC Sports Live player... Um, you can watch from Puck Drop. You just have to suffer through about a half hour of delay. Good times. That player is awful. It sucks. Can confirm. Yeah. So Philadelphia, like, while they have looked like a good team, they've also had some real struggles on the back end. They've Their goaltending has been an extraordinarily <clears throat> suspect. Which means it's yet another winnable game for the Avalanche. Um, Tampa are Tampa. Ottawa are Ottawa. And Minnesota are Minnesota, but that's a pretty heavy schedule loss. So, I think five points is a good goal. But I agree that four points is more realistic. Yeah. I I feel like the Philadelphia game they're not going to win. I just think... It's the end of the road trip. They lost to Philadelphia earlier. Now, I don't know who... You're planning on starting probably doesn't matter neither goalie's very good but this just seems like a gonna be a tough luck loss for the Avs and then Tampa's tough but I do like their chances at home if the Avs don't beat Ottawa I'm gonna quit <sighs> I'll be back that's such a trap game it really They're is for me again especially I know because Ottawa have been shooting like a billion percent yeah I they Ottawa's been 
decent. I, I don't know how because they even some of the good players left are injured. and that, That's how. All, every shot's going in for some reason. <laughs> I think yeah. they played all their games at home, too. This might be with their first real road trip. I just, I just hope. I hope they beat Ottawa. It's... It's just it'll be just so sad if they can't win that game. And yeah, I agree. The Minnesota one's tough, especially back to back. You just never know what to expect there. I don't think it's an immediate, definite schedule loss for me. Sometimes they do go out and play decent in that game, especially now they can start a different goalie like they couldn't do last year. They always have to start the same one in a back-to-back game. <laughs> so I'm a little bit more optimistic on that one, but I still think all the circumstances added up is going to be about four points this week. Oh, um, I do want to add also that some of Ottawa's victory came against the Dallas Stars, in which Matt Duchesne went off because Matt Duchesne goes off against the Dallas Stars. He sure does. I guess, <laughs> I guess we do have to have the Duchesne conversation here though like no, we don't what do you expect from <laughs> no him <thanks. laughs> and will the avs do a tribute video no no i think they will i i don't i think you can't ignore that he played for the avs for over eight years matt calvert got a friggin tribute video i think duchene's getting one <laughs> Ugh. Yeah, but Matt, it's not like we Matt hate Calvert him. He brought him us free good agency. stuff. Duchesne begged for a trade for years and pouted, and and there's like still garbage. a significant portion of the fan base that loves him. I know, and he gave us good stuff. We should be bitter. Locker room that doesn't, right? Like that's it d- depend. Like they may acknowledge him, but going to the whole length of doing like a a tribute video may not sit sure. well with the locker room. Yeah, they may not do a video. That's fair, but they'll definitely like announce his return, I think. I think there'll be a video. They had a video for Cody McLeod and he asked out. So. <laughs> and it was like the next day and they still had They a should video. do a tribute video and then the last 30 seconds is just Sam Gerard spinning. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this year. It's it's just a, a cut back to, back and forth. Duchesne spinning, Gerard spinning. Duchesne spinning, Gerard spinning. <laughs> and then it and then it stops being Duchesne and it's just Gerard at the end. Yeah. There you go. And Duchesne will score a goal because. Oh, probably. I I'm a little more optimistic than you guys this week and. It's, it feels really weird, but I'm, go- I'm going with six points. Um, I think Philly is very beatable right now, and they can go in there and get that win and make this a fantastic road trip. Uh, I think Tampa's an auto loss. The Avs never seem to match up well against them. The most exciting game we've had against Tampa in recent years is the one where we almost came back but didn't. <laughs> Wouldn't that score like 15 to 13? Yeah. <laughs> they do okay against them at home. That's my optimism. Uh, um Ottawa, I I don't <sighs> They have to win that game. They have to win that game. <laughs> I, I I struggle if they win it in overtime or not. I'm just afraid the amount that they have to win that game means they grip the sticks a bit. I don't think they need to grip the stick. I think they'll do just fine. I don't fine. think they need to either. It's will they. I think 
I think we worry about it more than the players yeah, I, worry about the this players one. don't care about that first overall. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not about the first overall. It's about your players versus their players. Up. It's about well, Sam Gerard saying <laughs> and stopping Matt Duchesne from doing the same. But Sam's game like that would be against Nashville, you know, like he doesn't care about Ottawa. Oh yeah, duh. He was traded for Kyle Turris. That's right. Um, <laughs> So I, I think the Avs will win that game, and if I want to be super os- optimistic, I think that it's the beginning of the end for Ottawa. Ooh. Oh boy, that that's that'd be a good. Um, and then the Minnesota game is a central on central division, so that's guaranteed overtime. True. Um, and I'll say the Avs win that one in a shootout. Not even a row. Won't even get a row out of it. Right, exactly. The most central division thing possible. Okay. Well, I'm like Rudo. I'm fairly positive on this week. I think they'll they'll beat the Flyers, no problem. I shouldn't be that confident, but I, you know, I they're just not they're not clicking right now. And I think they'll beat Minnesota as well. Um, They've been on a row a long time. <laughs> Tampa, I don't think that one tomorrow's gonna know, be good. Tampa's tough, but. Um, I forget whether we're tied with them in the standings or just one below them. With the Avs have the second best record in the NHL right now, um, and, and Tampa's either first or tied with us. I forget. I think Nashville's, I think Nashville's first. Just keep talking. Yeah, and I'll tell you. So I think I think we're tied with Tampa. That's points percentage too. Don't look at the standings page. Um, oh, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I did not just and, type NHL.com/standings. Definitely. <laughs> we have like two games in, in hand on Tampa right now, or they have two games in hand the, on us. What? Go. Sorry. The, the Ottawa game really feels like a trap game. That just feels like the kind of game that they just not show up for. Um, so I, I think they'll they'll win one of the Tampa slash Ottawa games, and I wouldn't be surprised if they beat Tampa and lose to Ottawa. That would be very Avs. Yeah, that would definitely happen. Um, so we need to go ahead and get out of here, I think, because my dogs are basically yelling at me that they need to go to the bathroom. So mine too. We're we are pretty much all on board this between four and six points range this week. Um, so Jackie was four, I was five, or Leonardo was six. We'll remember that next week when whatever happens happens, and you'll hear about it from us. Right here on Burgundy Radio. You can get us at soundcloud.com slash burgundyradio or mixcloud.com slash burgundyradio or burgundyrainbow.com where I post those two sources every week or you can subscribe to us on iTunes. And I understand that Google Play is screwed up right now um, and I told Earl I was going to look into it and then I forgot to look into it because of life right now. Um, But I am going to try to get into that later today. Um, At any rate... You can catch us back at the normal time next week. We're going to get to the dirty areas, and we will see you all now. When Instagram started, it was nothing but pictures of cats and plates full of dinner. So I said, this is pointless, and I've never seen anybody do anything except complain about Instagram ever since. So this never joined. Uh, yeah, it's not for me. Like, I'm too old for Snapchat. If anything's good on Snapchat, it, it's not coming for me. Like, I tried it once, and I was just like, this this is garbage. I don't understand Snapchat at all. <laughs> <laughs> so 
I'll go as far as Instagram. I understand that. what Snapchat was built for. <laughs> Do you? I'm not interested in human emoji hybrids. Yeah, that's not what Snapchat was built for originally. <laughs> what was it built for originally? One yes. Dick pics. Yep. <laughs> because they would go away. Yeah. Uh, and it would like tell you if someone screenshotted it. <laughs>